Arnold Toynbee wrote, those who refuse to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Solomon writes, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. He agrees. He says, because human nature repeats things, we fail to learn from history, things are done over and over again. Alexander Fraser Teitler, Lord Wold Housley, who lived from 1747 to 13 was a professor at the University of Edinburgh. He wrote, The average duration of great civilizations has been 200 years. Some have not lasted that long. Some have gone longer. We are in our 246th year in the United States. Each civilization has gone through a cycle much like this. It starts with bondage and moves to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith, it continues on to great courage. From great courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to leisure. From leisure to selfishness. From selfishness to complacency. From complacency to apathy. From apathy to dependence. From dependence to weakness. And from weakness back to bondage. Where on that continuum do you think the United States might be? You probably would agree with me that we're moving toward apathy, dependence, weakness, and maybe bondage. 71% of Americans think the United States is going in the wrong direction. This is not a religious thing. Whether you're a believer or not, you can see that our country is in trouble teenager, young single, young married, parent, empty nester. You don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to see that our nation is struggling. The increasing number of suicides. Suicides are a symbol of hopelessness. People saying, I give up. The overdoses from fentanyl, the spike in crime, high inflation, the chaos at the border. In 1787, historian Edward Gibbon completed the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. He attributed the fall of the Roman Empire to some of the following. One, the disintegration of the family, the rapid increase in divorce, and the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home. You can see today that the family is being bombarded from all sides, media, TV, Movies, our schools. Second, higher and higher taxes and the spending of public monies for welfare giveaways for the populace. God says in the Bible that work is good. When we work, it gives us dignity. More and more people receiving from the government, depending on the government, is not a good thing. Three, the mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming consuming and brutal. The public baths and the increase in sexual immorality. I don't have to convince you that we have an increase in sexual immorality. And the decay of religion. Faith fading into mere form, losing touch 
with life and losing its ability to warn and guide people. Uh, Christians believe that due to our foolish mistakes, history repeats itself. We can go the way of Rome. But we also maintain that history is linear. God is leading history someplace. It began with the creation of God, went awry with the sin of Adam and Eve, we rec- was reclaimed through the redemption of Jesus Christ on the cross, and will be culminated with the return of Christ. When we're renewed spiritually, why can't we sustain that? Why are we so quick to lose our spiritual fervor? Maybe you used to be on fire for Christ. Now you find the embers in your heart barely smoldering. Why does this happen? Where do we go awry? I think we can find the answer in the Old Testament book of Judges. Judges records a 300-year period from 1375 to 1075 B.C., when Israel was led by 13 different judges. Uh, The book tells about the dark ages of Israel, when the Hebrew people went from one state of bondage to another. Thirteen times the people experienced revival when God sent them a leader called a judge. And then they renewed their worship of God. And then 13 times they slipped back into apathy and bondage. What happened? How did they go astray? By studying the Hebrew people during this time period, we can learn how to avoid losing our spiritual fervor. The people of Israel went through a six-step process each time they fell into bondage. The first step was compromise. And this is kind of the main point I want to make today. Failure comes through compromise. We make little compromises. It leads to failure. So we want to actually begin in Joshua 23. If you want to use our Bibles under the seats, it's on page 235. It's the book right before Judges. Joshua is about to die, and he says, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written. Joshua is the one that led the Hebrew people into the land of Canaan. Be careful to, believe, to obey everything in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. So that's God's standard. Go straight ahead. Don't turn to evil on the right or the left. God knew that there were still people that lived in the land of Canaan that worshiped false gods. And it was a, uh, they were into evil. So he says, don't go to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them, you say, you don't need to worry about me, Ron. I'm strong. I can date a non-believer. I'll stay strong in my faith. I can marry. It won't make any difference to me. God says, learn from history. If you associate, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you 
whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. Now turn to Judges chapter 1. It's on 238 in our Bibles. The first 18 verses tell us that after Joshua died, the people of Israel continued to drive out the Canaanites as God had commanded them. Then we read, The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. Iron chariots? What's that to the God who can part the Red Sea? Sure, if you're in warfare and you're on foot and people come against you that are in uh, chariots throwing spears, you are at a disadvantage. But with God, nothing's too great for God. And so this was the first sign of their compromise. So what do you do when you can't drive people out? Well, you put them to work for you. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Now, he starts through the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah didn't, they weren't able to drive out all the people, nor did Ephraim, another one of the tribes, drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. But the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Nor did Zebulun, another one of the tribes, drive out the Canaanites living in Katron or Nahalol, who remained among them. But they did subject them to forced labor. Nor did Asher, another one of the 12 tribes, drive out those living in Akko or Sidon, or Alab, or Oxib, or Helba, or Aphek, or Rehob. And because of this, the people of Asher lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. Neither did Naphtali, another one of the tribes, drive out those living in Beth Shemesh, or Beth Anath. But the Naphtalites, too, lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. And those living in Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced laborers for them. The Amorites confined the Danites. This is another tribe. Now the tail begins to wag the dog. They confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. The Amorites drove the people from the tribe of Dan out. They confined them to a certain area. Why did the people of Israel fail? They didn't obey God fully. Time time and again, God says, drive the Canaanites out, all of them. But because they compromised, they began to worship the gods of the Canaanites. Families who own beach or lakefront properties worry about erosion. Waves taking away inches or feet of sand each year. Most people don't do anything about the erosion until their house is condemned or it's about to be swept away. Why? Because erosion happens slowly. It doesn't draw attention to itself. Spiritual erosion works the same way. It happens suddenly. No person becomes suddenly base. It starts with little compromises. The second step in the cycle is disobedience. They were left, so some of the Canaanites 
were not driven out. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. Their first mistake was compromise. Their second was not obeying God. They said, oh, well, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. They began marrying the Canaanites. Now, when you marry a Canaanite girl, you want her happy, right? You don't want her nagging you all the time about keeping a silver idol on the mantle. When you get home from a hard day at the iron factory, you want peace, right? And so you say, okay, you can put that up there. And then over time, you compromise. And eventually, you're worshiping those gods too. You don't boil a bullfrog by throwing it in a hot pot of water. You put it in cold water and turn the heat on. Water gets warm, it gets relaxed, falls asleep, and then it gets boiled to death. Beware compromise that causes you to disobey Christ. So let's say you're dating somebody who's not a believer. I would recommend a conversation that goes something like this. You say, you know what? I've told you that Christ is the most important person in my life. I love him. And I want you so much to follow him. But I think by us dating, I'm giving you the impression that Christ is not first the most important thing in my life. And so I want you to go out and investigate if Jesus is the Son of God and if he rose from the dead, like I have. And if you come to that decision and commit your life to Christ, then talk to me again. But as things now stand, I can't continue to date you. Same with go with a business relationship. You don't go into somebody in business who rejects your faith in Christ. The third step in the cycle is bondage. First they compromised, then they disobeyed, then they went into bondage. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Now, whenever we see idolatry in the Old Testament, these false gods are always connected to demonism, to Satan. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Where's the happy life? It isn't there. When you disregard God's commands, you don't find happiness. You find misery. Every, when, you, when you read through the book of Judges, every time the people disobeyed God, they slipped into bondage. Step four in the cycle is they cry out 
to God. People come to their senses and say, this is terrible. We're miserable. And so they cry out to God for help. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. They wept for their disobedience. Because he had 900 chariot, iron chariots, and they cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Well, I'm just leafing through the book of Judges with you. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And then later, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. Popular thinking 100 years ago was that science alone could provide the answer for a better life. It was thought that humans were going upwards into better and better life and that evil would be eliminated by the application of science to what we face in the world. Then came World War I. Then World War II. Then the Russian gulags. 30 million people died. And then the Chinese Cultural Revolution. 70 million people died. And then 9-11. Those events blew that theory apart. That we're getting better and better. So many people today have come to see that life without God doesn't work. And many people are turning to Christ. The fifth step in the cycle is salvation. The people cried to God and every time God saved them. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, a judge, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. And here's another example. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Jerah, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. The good news of Judges is that it's never too late to turn to God. Even though the people turned away from God, they did evil things. When they cried out to God, he saved them. You may think, I've gone too far. I've done too much. God can't forgive me. That's not true. You can always turn to Christ for salvation and he will accept you with outstretched arms. The final step in the cycle is peace. Every time the people cried out to God and he saved them, they experienced a time of peace. Often it went on for for many years. So how can we avoid losing our fervor for the Lord? How can we keep from slipping back into spiritual bondage like the people of Israel? How can we avoid seeing our nation unravel? I want to suggest four lessons we learn from the book of Judges. The first, the message that comes through loud and clear on every page in the book of Judges, my main point today, failure comes through compromise. You start with little compromises. You know, Just fudge a little bit. That's not so bad. Small town north of Pittsburgh dedicated a new city hall. It was beautiful. They had a ribbon cutting ceremony. Everybody was happy. A few months later, there were cracks in the walls. 
Month or two later, they couldn't get all the windows to shut. A couple months later, they couldn't get the doors to shut. And then they began to have cracks in the sidewalk in front. Within a year, the city hall was condemned. So they said, well, what happened? And they they did a study. They found that they had built it over an old mine. And so the foundation began to give way and to move. It's the same with spiritual compromise. You compromise a little bit, and then the foundation of your life, your commitment to Christ begins to move, and it undermines all your values. The second lesson is that compromise leads to rationalization. When you compromise a little bit, then you begin, you can't live with yourself. And so you begin to rationalize. You know, this isn't wrong. This isn't so bad. Look at what other people do. I'm better than most people. And eventually, it leads to a permissive attitude. Wrong becomes right. That's what the people of Israel did. Look at this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Sound familiar? Look at another one. In those days, Israel had no king. This is a repeat. Everyone did as he saw fit. This is a permissive society. The philosophy is, as long as you're not bothering somebody else, it won't matter. John Hunter gives this assessment of the book of Judges. It is a stated fact that there was no king. No one to give orders or give account to. Everyone did as he pleased. What was right in his own eyes. No one did what was wrong in his own eyes. Nobody ever does that. People could always justify what they did in their own eyes. So it was always right. Wrong was right because someone said it was right. This is the hallmark of a permissive society. Fearful crimes are committed. The perpetrators are caught and speak with no shame, no regret, no guilt, no sorrow. Why? They expect there will be no consequences and interpret right in their own eyes. What we read in the book of Judges is so like our time. Our society abandoned commitment to God's standards as the basis of right and wrong decades ago. We embraced evolutionary theory. That what we have here came by evolution. There's no God that sets down what's right and wrong. We decide as humans what's right and wrong. And things have not gotten better. When we abandoned God in the 19th century, the 20th century got far worse. This leads to our final lesson. Salvation is found in Christ alone. Christ is always available for salvation. Although the message that compromise leads to disobedience, leads to bondage, is a, is a difficult one to swallow. There's good news in the book of Judges. Every time the people came to their senses and turned and cried out to God, God saved them. And it's true for you today. 
You say, God, I'm sorry for what I did. I repent and I want you in my life. I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life. Change me. Make me a new person. Don't believe the lie that it's too late. We may think that our nation is too, do- too far down the path of selfishness, apathy, weakness, and bondage, that there's no hope to turn it around. But don't believe that. It starts with those who believe in God turning back to God. And we can see our whole nation turn around. If we want to be part of God's revival for the church and for our nation, it starts with us turning our lives over to Christ and being full out committed to him. You can find hope today for yourself and the nation by giving your life to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book of Judges. It's probably the most difficult book in the Bible. It seems so dark. The people are in bondage 13 different times. Yet we see hope in the middle of the book. As every time they turn to you, you save them. And so we have the same message for us today. So Father, we commit our lives to you recommit our lives to you this morning. We don't want to go down the road of compromise and disobedience and bondage. We want life, and we see that life is in you and your son, Jesus Christ. I want you to just pray silently for a moment. Tell, your, tell God you want to recommit your life to him, or if you've never given your life to Christ, say, Christ, I want you to come into my life today and forgive me of my sins. You pray. Thank you, God, that you are a merciful and forgiving God. And you can forgive all of our sins because Jesus Christ died on the cross for all sins. They've already been paid for. And so we thank you for that message for our lives and for our country. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.